0: Arcana Imperii. I am Gabrielle Roberts and I'm joined with my co-host Ariana Roberts. Today we will be talking about gerrymandering. And for the viewers that don't know, that's basically when districts are engineered such that they have a partisan outcome that favors one party. Right, and this gerrymandering is going to be very influential over the 2018 elections and the Supreme Court coming in the Supreme Court rulings. Our first interviewee will be Senator Jamie Eldridge, who is... A graduate of Acton-Boxborough Regional High School in 1991, he was a undergrad in John Hopkins University for political science, and a graduate at Boston College Law School. He is also a representative of the mighty 37th MA District. Hmm. And also, we're having the professor come in of Tufts. Yeah, we're having Professor Moon Dutchin come in. She was a Harvard undergrad in math and women's studies, and she's also a graduate at University of California and the University of Chicago. She is currently a professor of mathematics at Tufts, and she studies geometric topology and the structure of spaces, as well as an expert of the math of gerrymandering. Hi, so we're at the Acton Coffee House in Acton, Massachusetts, where we're going to be meeting our first interviewee, Jamie Eldridge. Hello, Mr. Senator Eldridge. Um, Thank you for coming on to the show. Uh, I know you have a very busy schedule, so it's
1: appreciated. Well, thanks for having me on. And I always appreciate talking to young people about issues that are before the legislature. So thanks for reaching out.
0: Yeah. Uh, So we're going to talk about gerrymandering today. Mm -hmm. And so how do you define and measure gerrymandering? Explain to me like I'm a child.
1: Well, what gerrymandering is, is um, a term created in Massachusetts to describe how political districts, including legislative districts, are drawn up to decide um, how people are represented. And the term gerrymandering... uh, goes back to a former governor of Massachusetts who had proposed very strangely shaped districts to favor certain elected officials. And so, in my opinion, it's, it's the bad way. It's not a good way of deciding which candidates or which elected officials represent which people and I have filed legislation to try to reform that.
0: Yeah, gerrymandering, as you said, has been around for many years. And why is it a, do you think it's a bigger problem and more controversy now?
1: I think it's become a bigger problem because, um, and I think it's accurate to say this, is that Republicans in a lot of other states um, have used gerrymandering uh, to to draw hyper-partisan districts where it's virtually impossible for a Democrat to win. And then they've used that power um, to help pass certain policies, uh, both at the state and federal level. And so we've really reached a crisis because the democratic system is supposed to be based on equal and fair representation that's really being attacked by how certain districts are being drawn across the country.
0: I saw a rise of, like, more unfair division of the gerrymandering based off of big data analytics as well, like the split between a lot of stacking and cracking is based off of a lot of information that Republicans gain from social media or census data to unfairly divide and have more more focus on how they want each district to be divided into. Do you think that's true?
1: I do, yeah. I, with with the advance of, of technology, and as you said, big data, uh, they've been able to use that to, to more <laughs> surgically draw uh, legislative districts, and that's a real concern. Now the technology is always going to advance, of course, so I think the question is, you know, should there be a different way of determining what legislative districts look like, including the idea of an independent redistricting commission, which is legislation that I filed this session.
0: So do you think that gerrymandering is mainly a Republican problem or a Democrat party problem as well?
1: I think absolutely the Democrats do it too, although I think most recently it's been done uh, in the most disturbing way by Republicans. Um, But, you know, right here in Massachusetts, you know, we did a redistricting in 2011. I think it was done well, but at the end of the day, it is still in Massachusetts legislators deciding, you know, what the district should look like in a local democratic legislature. And I, I think that that, you know, should be changed. I think we should be a model for the rest of the country yeah. in how to do redistricting differently in an independent fashion. And uh, that's, again, why, the, why I filed the legislation this session. So
0: the Supreme Court is examining gerrymandering right now. Justice Kennedy stated that this may amount to a First Amendment violation. But Justice Roberts, not a relative as far as we know, Uh, is worried about the reputation of the Supreme Court. He stated, We're taking these issues away from democracy, and you're throwing them into the courts. And it may simply be my non-mathematical educational background. I can only describe this as sociological gobbledygook, the chief opined. The intelligent man on the street is going to say, That's a bunch of baloney. It must be because the Supreme Court preferred the Democrats over the Republicans. What are your thoughts on this? How do you think this will result?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think it's important to, to point out that while it, it, oh, it is accurate okay. that right now it's it's been many Republican legislatures or states that lean Republican that are doing these hyper-partisan districts that, you know, Democrats do it as well. Um, and there's an argument that, at least in the past, that's happened here in Massachusetts by Democrats. So I don't think it's a partisan issue. And I think if if we're really getting back to the roots of democracy that Justice Roberts allegedly is committed to, uh, that it's really about making sure that there is fair elections in the sense that competitive elections and and, and not having legislative districts that automatically are going to go to a person of a particular party.
0: Do you think the solution to gerrymandering is a nonpartisan group mapping of districts or a bipartisan group? Or do you think there's another way entirely for the solution to jurymen?
1: Yeah, I I think that um, it's an independent commission. It could certainly be bipartisan or it could be people that are at least on their face nonpartisan. I mean, I think the reality is at the end of the day, everyone is partisan. But um, what what I proposed in in my bill, which is uh, Senate 11, is uh, creating this independent commission that would... Um, hold public hearings, and then would recommend a dis- uh, districts across the state. The legislature would have the ability to accept that or reject it. And if they rejected it, then the commission could come back with a slightly different proposal, and then that would be uh, that would be become law. That would become the new redistricting. So, I think that's you know my proposal. I'm certainly open to other ideas.
0: So I know you're a very busy, uh, have a very busy schedule. So. I have one last question for you. Yes. And so there are like many problems to tackle in 2018. There's like voting rights, the environment, campaign finance reform, global warming, immigration policy, national defense, I could go on. So where do you place gerrymandering the list of priorities to fix?
1: I I would really place it at the top because all the issues you just mentioned are going to be deeply impacted by, you know, who who represents uh, people across the country. And if we don't change that, you know, not only does it build cynicism towards government's ability to solve problems, but it's going to put. Uh, people in office who, who more often than not have a certain view on solving the uh, problems that you just you just mentioned. Okay,
0: thank you for your time. I know you're like super busy. We don't want to take more out <laughs> of your schedule. So.
1: Well, no, thanks for having me on the podcast. I look, look forward to listening to it. Appreciate the question.
0: That was a very insightful look on the political aspect of gerrymandering. Uh, now we're going to go and interview Professor Moon Dutchin on the mathematical side of gerrymandering. So thank you so much for coming on to the show. And uh, I know you're a very busy person. And Oh, sure. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, so I'll ask you the first question. Uh, how do you define gerrymandering?
2: Okay, well, gerrymandering... I mean, it has a kind of narrow definition which is what everybody's thinking about these days, but it also has a broader definition. Mm-hmm. These days people are thinking about gerrymandering as drawing funny-shaped districts to give the advantage to one political party over the other. But yeah. I would say that more generally gerrymandering is anytime you draw boundary lines with a, and a, and if you define and if you frame it that broadly then then it's a really big and widespread problem. So,
0: um when you, like, show a district map that's heavily gerrymandered, you have, like, the gut sense that something's wrong. It just looks weird. You just you described a bit of it. It kind of looks funny. So how do you mathematically measure how wrong the gerrymander?
2: Right, yeah, actually, so one important thing to say about that is that sometimes your eyes can deceive you, and actually the eyeball test is getting less and less accurate because these people are drawing the districting maps have so much data and so many powerful tools at their disposal that they can draw really unfair maps that don't look so bad anymore. So now you can have a map that looks, you know, square or round or plump or something, you know, inoffensive, that's just as unfair as a map used to be 50 years ago that looked like an octopus, right? So that's I think one important thing that's changing is we actually need more math to apply to redistricting to understand when something is really squeezing unfair advantage out. Uh, So your question was, how can you do that? What what does that look like? Well, it used to be that the main idea was something called compactness, which was like, you take the shape, and then you come up with some geometric score for the shape that tells you how eccentric it is um, on one hand versus an ideal, which would be very symmetrical and regular. So I think that compactness is still important and it still has a role to play, but um, these days we like to also think about lots of other factors when it comes to fairness. So mathematics can, what it can really, math and computer science, what what that can really do that's new is it can show you how districting plans perform against thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of other alternatives drawn by a computer. So what I think is the most exciting breakthrough For gerrymandering is now we can take a plan like the current plan in wisconsin that the supreme court just heard and we can actually kind of come up with a rigorous way to say this gives more extreme advantage than 99.5 percent of other possibilities and that's pretty good evidence that it's gerrymander
0: so uh do you think that like um recent technology advantages like um big data do you think it's making like gerrymandering a bigger issue or
2: yeah i I like to say that computers have kind of gotten us computers and data have gotten us into this problem and now it's time for them to help us get back out (laughs) um but yeah well i mean the first half is for sure all of the ability to draw these precision gerrymanders that don't look as bad as they used to look that's been ushered in by massive data techniques um although one thing that i like to point out I think people imagine that the the bad guys out there, whoever they are, are using computers to automatically come up with really bad maps, mm-hmm. but they're actually not. They're, even the most extreme gerrymanders are, are these days typically drawn by hand, someone just mm. sitting there at their PC with a mouse, clicking little units back and forth until they get just the answer that they want. It, it actually takes an amazingly long time to come up with a map by hand, so... Um, you know, what, what I think is good to keep in mind there is you need data and you need computers to do it, but you still also use lots and lots of human priorities, human ideas, human preferences still go into the like like cake batter of making a, a map.
0: On another note, how did you get interested in the problem of gerrymandering and what led you to create your gerrymandering summer camp to train expert witnesses on this?
2: Well, I got interested in it, well, I mean, okay, so the prehistory is that I'm a, I'm a math professor, mm-hmm. I do pure mathematics, so it's very theoretical, uh, stuff you could never actually see in the world, just because I think it's, it's really beautiful, that's how I got into math. But I also mm-hmm. have been interested in activism and social justice mm-hmm. for as long as I can remember, mm-hmm. and what's exciting about this project is it's an opportunity to take my two loves and bring them together. So I got working on this by teaching a class on voting at Tufts a few years ago, and when I was teaching it and started working on how to teach about gerrymandering, that's when I realized that the math of gerrymandering really needed an update. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I'm the one to do it. So I started getting people together. It's not a single person's effort. It's a community effort. But I've had some pretty good luck at bringing mathematical attention to the problem. And now there's dozens of mathematicians scattered around the country who are spending serious time thinking about this. And I think, you know, I, I'm optimistic we're going to be able to make a real difference.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So we um, we both like participated in the Boston March for Science. Uh, there was like some criticism that science scientists should remain outside of politics. But then there were also others that like felt that other scientists had an obligation to society mm-hmm. to weigh in on areas where science and public policy intersect, such as mm-hmm. global warming, health, pollution, etc. So how do you respond to this view? Yeah, there's a tension there,
2: right? I'm where especially in math, especially in theoretical math, you're trained to think that you're doing something really apolitical, um, and some people, you know, are drawn to math for that reason. But there are occasions like this when you get lucky, in my opinion, and you find an area where Mm -hmm. cutting-edge research mathematics is relevant to a pressing social problem. In this case, expert witnessing, expert testimony, helping out with with court cases and consulting with legislatures, those are ways to get involved that aren't, you know, they're not exactly protest, not exactly advocacy. They're really bringing your expertise to the problem um, on its own terms. So um, I I think that that, you know, that tension in between objectivity and advocacy is always there. But this project doesn't really sit on either side of that divide. It's really just an apply. I like to think of this as, you know, there's pure math, there's applied math. I like to think of this as applied pure math, <laughs> because mm-hmm. what it's doing is it's taking ideas from from the theory and Plugging them into to a very current problem.
0: So, can you overcome a lack of math skills in um, politicians?
2: <laughs> Good question. Um, yeah, it's been kind of interesting. So, there's the there's a politician like the elected officials, the policymakers. Um, there's their staffs, and their staffs do a lot of this work um, in the trenches. There's also the the legal system. So, there are courts and there are litigators, and there are law scholars. And that whole landscape of people, um, they, don't, they tend to think of themselves as not very mathematically or, or technically mm-hmm. savvy. And so some of what we've been trying to do in my working group is come up with ways of addressing this problem that are really accessible and that you can explain, and you're not just kind of dropping mathematical authority on the problem. You're really explaining how to think about it and how to measure it and address the problem Mm -hmm. so yeah I mean I think you know you mentioned the the people on the political side but I think the reality is that that's a hard place to make an intervention because the legislatures they're full of people who got successfully elected to office and they want to consolidate and preserve their power so the this is one of the sort of strange things about the U.S. system the incentives aren't really there for the legislative uh, bodies to be as fair as possible. The incentives are there to t- for them to try to squeeze as much advantage for their side as possible. And that's one of the reasons that the, the legal setting has looked like a good place to bring new ideas about, about uh, gerrymandering constraints.
0: Now, you touched upon this just now, but to elaborate more, the Supreme Court has seemed to agree that gerrymandering is bad but has not done much because of a lack of ability to agree how to measure impact. What do you think of the new metric of using efficiency gap as a measure of degree of gerrymandering?
2: Well, okay, first, before I answer that exact question, let me rewind to something that you said earlier on in the question, Mm -hmm. which is that the court thinks gerrymandering is a problem, but they haven't, been able to do much for that it's important to distinguish between racial gerrymandering and partisan gerrymandering because there is a strong legal framework for racial gerrymandering it's called i'm sure you know about this but it's called the voting rights act of 1965 and it's this really powerful tool we've had for 50 years that lets you strike down unfair maps if you can prove that they have you know, a, a kind of racial component to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been really successful. That's well established. Although, you know, it's getting eroded. It's getting harder and harder to use in its original sense, but mm-hmm. still a big, big tool. But on the partisan side, when one party is getting advantage over the other, there you're absolutely right. The court is just straight up confused <laughs> about about how to handle it. Yeah. And they've been, they've been in something of a muddle since the 90s. They mm-hmm agree that it's a problem, but are unconvinced by all the proposed ways of quantifying the problem. So efficiency gap has been kind of a breakthrough in the last couple of years, but um, I actually have a paper on that um, where my my collaborator, Mira Bernstein, and I, we, we take like a mathematician's look at the efficiency gap. And, you know, it's it's a breakthrough because it's simple it's got the merit of being easy to explain it gives an indicator that that kind of fits really well with the bits and pieces of legal framework that are out there for this Um, but because it's one score that's trying to measure everything that's going on in a state it's bound to have some limitations and so that's some of what we explore in the paper so i think my short answer to the question is tons of respect for the guys that came up with efficiency gap but Because it's, you know, because its whole goal is to give just a simple litmus test, it's pretty limited for that, you know, for that reason. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So once we recognize the state is heavily gerrymandered, what is the solution? Is the math area of fair division, you know, which is similar to when my sister and I split a cake with I'll cut, you choose, useful in dividing up districts?
2: Yeah, so... There are papers about this, even there's one that came out in the last month that's called, I think it's called I Cut You Freeze. So it's actually <laughs> like a, it's, a, it's a little variation on that kind of classic fair division protocol. Um, so my attitude towards this stuff is I think I understand why mathematicians like to think that way. It's good math, but it's just not very realistic for how the U.S. political process actually works for redistricting. So, you know, going back to the Constitution, it's pretty clear that the state's legislatures have control over the process. So mm-hmm. there's no I cut, you choose. It's I cut, I choose. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm really concerned. I'm really invested in keeping work on this problem useful, practical and applicable, because I think it's a real pressing problem that denies some communities their proper voice in their own governance. So rather than theoretical solutions that may produce beautiful theorems, I'd rather see interventions that work with the law and politics that we have and make things better and fairer. right? So, you know, I, I, I tend to think that that game theoretic approaches, I don't see a path towards getting those implemented as, as you guys probably know of course we have 50 states and only two of them have independent redistricting commissions okay. um so it's california and arizona and there's there's an interesting process in iowa that's that's a little bit different but okay. two out of 50 states that's not so many yeah. so the the prospects for taking this out of the hands of of partisan actors those are a little bit far away. And I absolutely respect people whose reform efforts are directed at that. Um, but for now, I'm, I'm interested in working with this, this kind of system that we have.
0: Hmm. So do you think districts can be fairly split by bipartisan groups or should we use nonpartisan groups?
2: Oh yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, either way, it's still hard. And this is something I, I find this so important drawing them out, you know, maybe you have some ideas of fairness in mind. Maybe, you know, maybe you want to have some kind of proportional outcome so that roughly the proportion of your voters that prefer a certain party, they get almost the same proportion of seats. Maybe that's your idea of fairness. Maybe you're really interested in a strong voice for minority communities. There's so many different ideas. Maybe you like competitive districts. There's just many different ideas of what fairness might look like. Um, But whatever it is that you settle on, Then when you go to the stage where you have to draw a map with those properties, it's just hard. Um, And, you know, bipartisan or nonpartisan, any kind of commission that you set up still has to draw the maps. And So one of the things that my group is trying to do is train map makers. So we have a conference coming up in less than a month in Texas where we'll have a two day map making training session. It's free and open. People can register for it from anywhere. Um, Get themselves down to Austin and we'll teach you to make maps. I like to think of this as like democratizing the map making process because the more we take Making maps out of the hands of kind of a tiny elite and let everybody give a hand at it I think that that's just like a giant step forward in terms of showing people the trade-offs You can't have all your fairness principles achieved all at the same time. You have to prioritize It gives you a better sense of what's possible when you can draw the map yourself.
0: So, do you think the recent elections in Alabama and Virginia tell us about the impact of gerrymandering? Well, okay, so the Alabama
2: election, that was a Senate election, which means it's statewide. It's not signed by congressional district. Oh, right. But you can still take a gerrymandering point of view on Alabama. Let me tell you what that would look like. So, statewide, um, Doug Jones won. Mm-hmm. He beat Roy Moore, um, not by that much, but he had a little more, uh, let's see, I guess he had not quite 50% of the vote, but he had 20,000 more votes um, than Moore statewide. However, Alabama has, you could double check me on my numbers, but I think I got these numbers right. Alabama has seven congressional districts, and somehow, even though Jones won statewide, he only would have won one out of those seven congressional districts. Oh, okay. Isn't that amazing? I think that's that's like... <laughs> An eye-popping result and your mm-hmm. first reaction to that might be the state is gerrymandered right yeah um, and if you take a little bit of a deeper dive and you look at how did that happen how did the numbers shake out that made that true I think you come right back to the conclusion that yes indeed Alabama is gerrymandered <laughs> you've got one district that's packed full of Democrats and people of color and that's enough of a over concentration to let Republicans prevail in all the surrounding districts with pretty safe margins. So that's your classical partisan gerrymander in my opinion. Virginia is an interesting, complicated case. It's, so there what we're looking at is a legislative race, the House of Delegates. Mm -hmm. Those have lots and lots and lots of districts, way more, of course, than, than for the U.S. Congress. And there, I think that's an interesting case because Democrats got more than half the votes substantially more than half the votes, but they're only going to get just about exactly half of the seats. And people think that that's evidence of the gerrymander. But actually, if you look more closely than that, um, I don't think that's what shows up when you inspect Virginia closely. I think what you see is just The actual political geography of the state, where the Democrats are clustered, where the Republicans Mm -hmm. are clustered, means that even a neutral map might have just about that amount of skew. Mm -hmm. So those are two really good examples to look at to say, you know, if you want to decide whether gerrymandering is taking place, it's really not enough to know what percentage of the votes did you get and what percentage of the seats did that turn into? You really have to understand something about the composition of each district and the packing and cracking that happened there so that you can make a more informed decision.
0: So do you think that this information is going to potentially impact the 2018 elections?
2: Well, you know, um, it's going to have a much bigger impact after the 2020 census. So the way this—well, here are so some things coming up for 2018. Of course, we've all got our fingers crossed, we're all holding our breath for the Supreme Court decision to come down um, on Wisconsin's map, because that could just set a huge precedent going forward for how uh, gerrymandering gets handled. And so Wisconsin and Maryland, those are two states where they're, the Supreme Court's going to hear arguments or has heard arguments in the case of Wisconsin, and it's going to make a decision about whether to invalidate the map. And a lot of people expect a decision from the Wisconsin case as soon as February exactly so that they can have new lines ready for the 2018 election. That's exactly why we might get that in February rather than June,
1: okay.
2: right? So so there's a little bit that's still up for grabs for 2018, but for the most part, the districts are set. We, we change them in the U.S. usually only every 10 years, and so mm-hmm. a new census happens in 2020, and in 2021, everyone will be scrambling to redraw their lines. And that's my group's really got our eyes on the prize of being ready for the 2020 census so we can help states and citizens groups and civil rights organizations think about new maps after we have the new data.
0: Is gerrymandering a problem for other countries? How do other countries solve this problem?
2: Yeah, yeah right. So what makes the U.S. so special this way? Two things. One, we have politicians drawing the lines for their own reelections here. And most places don't think that's a real good idea. So that's not, yeah. that's not very universal. The other thing is the requirement of having to redo it so often. So that's actually only since the 1960s that states are, or, or thereabouts, that states are required to change the lines every 10 years. And that's why this becomes such a, you know, political football, right? Let's take another country, for example, take France. So the way France divides things up, first of all, they have a system that's more party-based and proportional rather than our, like, first-past-the-posts, where we have a single-member district situation happening. Secondly, the lines don't change. So it's like in the U.S. Imagine we've got these states. We don't try to redraw the state boundaries every 10 years. That would be crazy, right? In a lot of other countries, the lines that define... Voting divisions are more traditional, like our state and They're not always changing it up for grabs.
0: Um. So I have my last question for you. What advice would you have for young women interested in STEM careers that have traditionally been male dominated? Well, just what would you say to encourage more women to be interested in STEM careers?
2: Well, I mean, I think that um, for me, let me let me just talk about math for a minute. It's definitely true that as you get into math. You know, as early as middle school, you can feel a kind of gender imbalance, and that gets stronger as you go up in level. These days, actually, a little more than half of math majors around the country are women. But you didn't know that. That's kind of cool. But then when you go to grad school, the number drops. When you go to postdocs, the number drops. When you go to faculty, the number drops even more. Mm -hmm. So as you rise up, it definitely does numerically get more male dominated. For me, it's always been something that I wanted to do. And it's, I've, you know, ever since I got into it, I kind of thought, well, if I get through and I get to a position where I have some some security and a little bit of control, a little bit of power, I can make things better for the next generation. And so I always have this kind of pay it forward idea and I hope I'm able to do that a little bit. That's helped me get through at times when it seems hard is thinking about how it's gonna get easier for the people that I'm able to to help later on. So that's that's one thing that I keep in mind. Another thing to say though is that you can find subcultures in STEM fields that feel really good and that let you be all the sides of yourself that let you bring all of your different uh, identities to the table, and I'm suspicious of any culture that tells you that it's so pure that you can't be you um, in all the ways that you want to do that. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that STEM fields are like that, and I think that um, there are really great micro-communities that you can be part of and and help foster, and you can find community-minded people at all different stages of the career chain. so I mean I think math is a beautiful place to make a career and can have a big impact and I would definitely encourage women to seek out good role models seek out good advocates um, and stick it out because it's a really beautiful thing to do
0: well again thank you so much for spending the time to talk on you know our podcast and I know you're extremely busy you're professor at Tufts and just thank you so much so... sure
2: it's a pleasure good talking to you both
0: Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Oh, so that was quite an interesting interview with Professor Dutchin. We learned a lot of stuff. Yeah, I know. I loved how she talked about the differences of gerrymandering, such as racial gerrymandering versus partisan gerrymandering. Yeah, I thought... I personally did not know that there was different aspects of gerrymandering. Yeah, neither did I. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that they're being solved in different ways as well. Right. And I know she also touched upon how there might be a map that looks like certain, distri- certain districts are gerrymandered based on uh, bird's eye view, but that could not be the case. And you need to look at it through a mathematical lens, such as the efficiency gap, in order to actually figure out If it's truly being gerrymandered, you know, I also like how she talked about the U.S.'s problem with gerrymandering compared to other countries and how this isn't as much of a problem for other countries because they don't let the politicians split up the districts yeah and also how you know like every 10 years we we have to constantly remap the districts which is also interesting too i like how she brought up france as an example yeah and she also she made out that point that the people are chose are asked to separate the districts instead of the politicians the last question she asked we asked her with the advice she gave for young women was she answered beautifully i think that She had a great point that women should just stick to their goals to becoming in to becoming members of the STEM field because, yeah, it could be um, male dominated, but you know, if you push through, you'll find yourself making breakthroughs that <clears throat> you never thought were possible. Mm-hmm. Well, that concludes this episode of Arcana and Pure Eye, and it was quite interesting looking at both the math and political aspects of gerrymandering. I'd like to thank both Professor Moon Duchin and Senator Jamie Eldridge for taking time out of their day to come on to the show. Yes, and uh, be sure to tune in for the next episode of Arcana and Pure.